title of the sermon series is Advancing in Joy. For those of you who may be familiar with the uh, letter of Philippians, you know that it is filled with the word joy. It actually uses uh, the word joy more times than any other book of the Scriptures. The, this uh, word joy repeatedly showing up as a theme, and yet this other theme is also present, a theme of suffering and affliction and hardship um, right next to the theme of joy, but also right next to another theme, which is gospel proclamation. So one of the things that I hope will take place as we spend the next 10 weeks together in Philippians is that we will together see the connection between joy and suffering and gospel proclamation. Okay, And our hope in the Lord that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now this morning, I know that we have a number of the kids in the service. It is the first Sunday of the month, so some of the older kids from our Cross Point Kids Gathering gather in here with us, and I'm really glad you're here. I'd love to see your eyes for a second. If the kiddos wouldn't mind looking up here, I want to invite you to do something with me and the rest of the congregation this morning as we read the Scripture. So I hope that you have a Bible open in front of you. Perhaps a parent or a friend could lean over and help you find Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read it together, and we're going to look for five words, okay? Kids with me? Um, Here's a quote from Walter Hansen. Passionate prayers pour out of Paul's heart, expressing five things. Gratitude, joy, affection, longing, and love. Now, those words will be on the screen behind me, so you can have a reminder. We're actually going to leave them up through the whole of the service, because it may take some of the kids a long time to find all those words, and that's cool, that's okay, we'll leave them up there. But what I would love you to do, if you find those words, I don't care if you're using one of the uh, paperback Bibles that are cross points or not, or you're using your own, I would love it if you would circle and underline those words when you find them, because they're so important in this passage, okay? Adults, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. You remember just a couple weeks ago, we had the wreck a Bible in a year challenge. Let's use our Bibles and make them look like they've been used. Well, this is a great opportunity. You can find five words, circle them, and remember them when you come across them in the future. Joy, love, longing, affection, and gratitude. So this morning, let's read this text and see if we cannot receive from the Lord what He has placed here for His church. Philippians chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 11, all right? Follow along together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And there's that word, right? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all 
because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the, pray, to the glory and praise of God. Heavenly Father, You are our God and all of salvation, all of Your work in redemptive history is to your glory and praise. We know it is so because all of this is begun by you, through you, and will be completed on the day of your return. And so, Lord, our hope is in you. And so our request this morning is that you would continue this work, that this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for his precious Philippian church would be over us this morning, that we would Increase in love more and more with knowledge and discernment so that we might be pure and blameless and so reap the fruit of righteousness to your glory. Lord, we pray this would be so in our midst by your authority, by your Spirit's work in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to begin with a little bit of an introduction to the letter. It's interesting, the Philippian church, if you go to Acts and you go look up, I believe it's Acts 16 or so, and you look up the founding of the Philippian church, what you're going to find is the church at Philippi begins like the beginning of a bad joke. It's kind of like this. A rich lady, a Philippian jailer, and a demoniac walk into a church. It's a mess. I mean, those are the three, that's the core group. Those are the founding members of the church at Philippi. Did you hear me? A rich lady, a jailer who just happened to have been the jailer of the Apostle Paul and those who were witnessing with him, and a demoniac. That's your core group. All right, get to it now, buddy. Paul went to Philippi, all right? And here's the thing. When he went to Philippi, he went not with a strategy for planting the church. I think this is so important for us to hear as as we say that Crosspoint is a church planting church, that we go not with a strategy for planting a church, but with a passion for planting the gospel. That is, is foundational to what we believe about the nature of the church, that if we will faithfully and passionately and according to the structures of the way that God would have this done in the midst of His gathering, if we would plant the gospel in human hearts like a rich lady, a jailer who just happens to be jailing you, and a demoniac who's chasing you around making a ruckus, if we would plant the gospel there, God will grow up His church. He's shown us so much of what it looks like, a partnership in the gospel that looks like planting the gospel and is confident that God will plant his church. This is what we need. And this is the church that Paul loves. You heard it, right? He loves this church. Now, Paul, at the time of the writing of this letter, he's in prison in Rome. I'm sure he is witnessing to his jailer, right? 
fact, we have evidence in the letter that that is exactly what he's doing. And, and there are those who are being saved who are his captors and those even in the household of Caesar who are coming to know and understand and trust in the Lord together. And so what happens is as they are in Rome, as the Apostle Paul is in Rome, in prison, suffering for his proclamation of the gospel, the Philippian church, this precious people, hears of their church planter who's in prison as he continues on in his missionary journeys, and they send their brother Epaphroditus with a gift to the Apostle Paul in Rome. You got that? He's in prison, and they send Epaphroditus with a gift of provision for him. And that's, that's deep. It's precious love. Even to identify yourself in, with a prisoner in this way, I think this has so much to do with what the, the Scriptures talk about when it talks about hospitality among the church. And when it talks about visiting those in prison, it is specifically talking about not being afraid to be identified with those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so Philippians reads in many ways like a letter of thanksgiving. It's just a thank you letter in so many ways. In fact, we, you look at the end of the letter, Philippians 4, 18 through 20, it reads like this. I have received full payment and more. You hear the thanksgiving? I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. Oh, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I want to pause there. You hear that? When the church supplies the needs of those who are suffering in the midst of gospel proclamation, it is a fragrant offering and sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And that is of supreme importance to the Apostle Paul, and that should be of supreme importance to the church because, friends, it's the supreme importance of the Lord Himself. It's what our passage this morning ends with. Verse 11 ends this way. To the glory and praise of God. Well, how does that work? How did the Philippians send a gift through one of their brothers to the Apostle Paul and God gets all involved in this? Well, look at it. You continue in Philippians 18 through 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul knows that there's no gift that is sufficient to provide for anyone's needs, his or the Philippian churches, except for what is in Christ Jesus. And so, as the passage ends, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why does the Lord receive the glory for the gift of the gift of the church? Because the Lord has provided everything for the sufficient work of the church. God is the beginning, He is the provision through, and He is the end of the whole work of the partnership in the gospel. So our caring for one another is not only to the glory of God, but it's the Lord's provision for us through His church. This is how God has organized these things. This is a huge reason why last week's call was a call of grace and not of legalism to call you to be a part of everything that the local church is a part of. And to not miss an opportunity, even one time, even the call this morning to say, you know what, we've got 10 weeks in Philippians, I'm going to be here and, and be a part of this and to receive everything that is for me and my household in the midst of this series, all 10 weeks. 
Because what we are receiving is the way that the Lord has chosen to give His provision to His church, through His church, to His glory. So the gospel comfort and provision and joy that we receive begins and ends with God. That's the point that I want to make sure that we get this morning, and it's in the passage as we continue to look at it. Now what's interesting, before we start looking at the text carefully, walking through it together, is that the greatest thanks that the Apostle Paul thinks to give as he offers up this letter of thanksgiving to Philippians. I mean, you know, when you write a thank you letter, you could, you could do, do the ones that you like, you just send out after a graduation gift, hey, thanks for the gift, love, you know, and send it on. But when you get a, something, when you're writing a thank you gift, it's to a brother, a sister, a friend, right? And you write down things that are like, you've been such an encouragement to me in this way, and I want this for you as part of your thanksgiving. Here's what the Apostle Paul wants. The greatest gift that Paul could give would be to share with them the joy that he himself has found in his own suffering. Listen to the way he puts it. The call to Philippians all the more is to join him in suffering to, so that they could join with him in the joy that he has received there. In Philippians 1, 29 through 30. Philippians 1, 29 through 30, it reads like this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. That's the message of the church, right? To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you'll be saved, right? But it has been granted to you. That word granted, that's gift, that's grace. It is grace to you that you should not only believe and so be saved, but also suffer for His sake. How so? Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What is the conflict? The conflict that comes with gospel proclamation. You see, it is grace to you not only to be saved, but to go about gospel proclamation no matter what the conflict may come. And in fact, when the conflict comes, it's grace to you. There's something that God does in the midst of suffering for the sake of the gospel. So when he talks about partnership in the gospel, this isn't just a, a pretty nice little thing. It, it's, it's probably not pastel colors on the front of the thank you card. It's something that is etched out, probably in red, on the front of the thank you card. We're going to walk through the passage. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6 first. And what we're going to see in verses 3 through 6 is partnership in the gospel. At Cross Point Coast, many of you know that we, we call our membership, we call it partnership. Uh, this is where we get the language. We didn't just make it up. Certainly, we are members of the household of God, are we not? This is what the believers are together, members of the household of God. Members is a perfectly good and sufficient word. But one of the reasons why we use the word partnership in the gospel, that we are partners together, is often in our culture, we think that membership has its privileges, but partnership has its price. You're going to see that price played out. Partnership for the gospel in verses 3 through 6. Look at them with me. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And I call the kids back in. Let's look for these words. Let's find them. Write them down. Circle them. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So this is a prayer. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And I love this all. You could find the word all and underline it in a different color. It shows up over and over again. He is thinking of the church together, whether it's the rich lady, the prison guard, or the demoniac, or anyone else that has gathered. They are the prayer is for them all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, and I am sure of this, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we observe is that this prayer is made with joy. Now, that joy idea, I'm just going to give you a heads up. It is the word happiness. It's happy when I pray for you. It increases my happiness when I pray. I don't want you to think of what we often think of when we think of like Christian joy. That Christian joy is this far off thing that doesn't actually belong to us, but is simply a statement of theological and doctrinal reality that sort of get, is a label that we wear, but not something that we walk in. Happiness is what something I would be. But joy is something that I have to put off and just wear as a label. He does not say that he prayed expectant of joy someday. He says, always in every pair of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. He's happy when he prays for the church from a prison cell. So waiting for joy is not just endurance until the end of the age, and then finally we get joy. We have such confidence, listen, we have such confidence in God that joy, the happy presence of God, bleeds backward from the coming day into the reality of our suffering and sorrows of the present day. Now there is joy inexpressible coming for the one who perseveres to the end. That is a testimony born over and over through the whole of the Scriptures. It was for the joy set before Him that Christ endured the cross, right? There is joy inexpressible. But because of our confidence in the Lord, what He has begun, what He is doing, and what He will bring to the end, that joy bleeds backwards right into our present Reality, And I'll tell you where it is and one of the reasons why you and I miss out on it so very often. Prayer. Prayer is the place that this joy most appears in the present. Because prayer is the place where we are most aware both of God's promise and of God's presence. You see, if prayer is made, our speaking to God, as we learned in January, if our speaking to God is made in light of our listening to God, then we will be confident before our God that He is for us, that He is working in us, that He is present with us, that His Spirit is actually confirming to us all of this truth, and that He is returning for us. And as we pray, that gets amped up among the believers. And our confidence increases and joy bleeds backwards from the future into the reality of whatever it is that drove us to prayer in the first place. We've got to pray. Well, let's look at the nature of the partnership just very briefly. The partnership is forged from the first day 
by the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let us remember that the emphasis that is that the partnership is in the gospel. There's lots of ways to be partnered. Right? Like we can be the church that's going to be the loving church. So we're going to be partnered in our efforts to love. We're going to be the church that doesn't sin like all the other hypocritical churches. So our partnership will be in our self-righteousness. Now there's lots of ways to partner. But the partnership that is in the Scriptures is a partnership in the Gospel. And do you know what people bring to partnership in the Gospel? Poverty of spirit. Another way to put it, the partnership is the Gospel is the partnership of the poor. The one that was furthest away from the Gospel among the first three core team members was the rich lady. And she... By the miracle of God, which is what Jesus says it's going to take to walk through the eye of a needle and entered into the kingdom of God. The partnership is the, and the gospel is the partner of those who are impoverished in our sin before the Lord, offering nothing. So really the partnership in the gospel is the partnership of the repentant, not of the self-righteous, but of the condemned before the Lord. But for His grace. Partnership is forged from the first day by the gospel. Partnership is sustained until now by the gospel. Partnership is not sustained by our conviction and our, our mere commitment to partnership. It's not enough. As, have you ever tried to be committed to really much of anything in your own power? It's not enough. The gospel is that which sustains us. The person and work of Jesus Christ, particularly made most glorious in His sacrifice on the cross for sinners, in His glorious resurrection and the promise of His return, that is what sustains the church. And lastly, partnership is for the sake of the spread of the gospel. I don't think that's in this text, but it is in Philippians like crazy. All right, so I'm going to grab the rest of Philippians and put it in this word partnership, that our partnership is for the sake of the spread of this gospel. Jesus himself says that he who is ashamed of me and my gospel, well, the way that we would be ashamed of his gospel is by not sharing what this gospel is with a lost and dying world. Um, one other note before we continue and to work our way through the verses together is that the partnership is plural. Don't miss this. The partnership is plural because of your plural partnership in the gospel from this day until now. And it says this, and I am sure of this, comma. So this thing, he could have just said it, but it says, he says, I'm sure of this thing. And he calls it an emphasis. I'm sure of this thing that he who began a good work in you. That you, friends, is plural. He who began a good work in the church. He who thought in eternity past, there are a people, a remnant out from among these rebels that I'm about to create, that I will redeem to myself. He who began that idea and then implemented that idea by sending the Christ on the shoulders of the promise that he communicated through his prophets, he will be faithful to bring that work, that church, to completion. 
Friends, that is a, a verse that has, is absolutely precious to me. It is my life verse. I don't mean that I've liked that verse for the whole of my life, but it is the thing that keeps me in the life of Christ. There have been times, I was sharing with uh, the, the, the band and some other leaders this morning, that there was a particular time in my life about 14 years ago where I'm like, my sin is so despicable. And I seem to be so absolutely powerless to do anything about it. Anyone, anyone ever been there or even there this morning? That I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this Christian thing because evidently I can't. And like a gift from heaven, which it is, he who, who decided you would be in that remnant he who, who placed you within the fellowship of the church. He who began that good work on the foundation of the gospel. You're going to get there. And it's like, wait a minute. I'm right. I don't stand a chance in this thing. I'm getting beat up on every side. And the person that's beating me up the worst is me. The greatest enemy of the gospel in my life is me. I'm my own prisoner. But the Lord God brings freedom. And He is freeing me from the, the reality of, of my struggle and desires. He is bringing me with His church to Himself. And this is sure. I got up, stood up, began to preach the gospel to myself, and began to preach the gospel to my family, and began to preach the gospel to anyone that I would meet. Because of a confidence that He who works will finish the work. So partnership begins and ends with Jesus. So hear this. If it's announced in paradise, will the founder of the church in Philippi please rise? The Apostle Paul remains seated. And if it is announced, will the founder of Cross Point Coast Please rise, Christ alone will stand. And the partners together in the gospel, all the partners together in the gospel, will sing of the glorious grace that was begun in Him and brought to completion through Him. That is the testimony of the poor who have become partners in the gospel. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 together. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. Hear that all? Because I hold you in my heart. Great affection word. Underline that guy. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, partakers of grace. What a beautiful word. That this is the gospel. We, we know what it looks like. Those of us who have cried out to the Lord in faith and received that gift of grace, we know what it is to be partakers of grace, to know that Jesus Christ alone is righteous and sinless, to know that we are fallen and have no hope in and of ourselves. That's bad news so far. If he alone is righteous and sinless, 
And we are those who are fallen rebels in this kingdom. And the king is coming. That's not normally good news for rebels in a kingdom. But if the king is coming, sending someone to suffer the reality of punishment in our place, that all of a sudden becomes good news for rebels. That there is about to be the declaration of amnesty, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus comes as the word of the Father, and what the word proclaims is Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners like you and I. And to become partakers of grace is to become partakers of the benefits of the forgiveness and grace that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And more than that, that he didn't just die, but he rose victorious over sin, death, and the devil. So that we become not only partakers in grace of forgiveness, but partakers of the grace of life in him. And now you can see why this passage is my life verse. You see, my life is found in this gospel. It's grace to receive this gospel. But here's where the Apostle Paul goes in Philippians that may be hard for us to swallow, so we'll have 10 weeks to sit in it and to work our way through. And Lord willing, that it would become joy to receive and walk in. That it is grace together also to be together in suffering for the proclamation of the gospel. Suffering for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to give of your time and your talent and your treasures sacrificially and feel you like you get kicked in the teeth and feel like in the midst of the church that there is cause for love to be patient because someone else has been unkind. And you know what it is like to proclaim the gospel and live in light of the gospel and it hurts and someone comes alongside of you with the encouraging word of partnership in the gospel that they are a fellow partaker of grace and they remind you that Jesus was kicked in the teeth. And, and you get to share in his sufferings. And, and so insofar as you do, you say, you know, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross that I would not ever, ever endure everlasting shame. And so I, I will endure this momentary affliction. I can endure this momentary hardship to bear witness to the fact that Christ is better. Not only to my own soul, but to the souls of those who are around me, that Christ is better. I can repent. I can admit my failure and my weakness. Because Christ is better than my self-righteousness. Well, friends, it feels like suffering when you repent. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have refused to at times because it hurts too much. But to be a partaker of grace is to walk in repentance and say, Jesus is better than my self-righteousness. As Paul will demonstrate, it's our participation with humility and the suffering for the sake of Christ that we often bear witness to Christ. Because our Messiah is the suffering Messiah. That's how he has revealed himself. The Apostle Paul is going to take some time so led by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And he is going to unpack how the Messiah is the suffering servant, the one who humbled himself, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Now, I want to encourage you to do something, all right? specific. Some of you are like, okay, where's the application point though? Like go and suffer. Um, here's a specific application point for you. All right. And then I'll let God work out how this plays out in your life. Okay. Memorize 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. All right, specific, you got 10 weeks to do it. It's about seven verses, so you can even skip a couple weeks. All right. Philippians chapter 5, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, memorize it, that that would become grace to you in the middle of what the Lord would have for his church together. And maybe that verse is not like for you in the midst of your suffering, but as a partaker of grace together, that would be yours for another. Now, what a beautiful thing if, if every single person here is ready with Philippians 2, 5 through 11, when the hardship comes among the church for our brothers and sisters. So to be a partner in the gospel, a partaker of grace, is to love grace so much that we are willing, like our Savior, to suffer in order to make it known. That's a testimony for a world that loves comfort. Friends, that's a testimony to my heart that loves comfort. Let's continue together. Verse 9. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now we have this word in this passage. It's a beautiful word. It's a good word. We love to talk about it. It is the word love. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now that's sweet. So let's all try to love each other more. All right? Because that's not the application point quite yet. Oh, that is going to be the fruit of righteousness. You know, I was thinking... What is this word love talking about? Is it love for Paul? He's praying that your love for me would abound more and more. He's certainly expressing thanks for it. That would be wrong. Is he saying your love for one another would, as partakers of grace in this partnership in the gospel, that your love would abound more and more? Is it your love for God? Like who cares about people, but your love for God would abound more and more. And I was um, like, I was actually studying, like I was studying this, like which love is it talking about? And I realized this is stupid. <laughs> this little rabbit trail that I'm on, because if it's love, the answer is yes. If it's actually love, it's love that provides for the needs who are suffering for the proclamation of the gospel. And the apostle Paul would be right to call for it. And if it's love, it is love among the brothers and sisters in Christ that are together family, household of God. And if it's love, it is love for our God. These are the two greatest commandments that we have. Is it not? Love for the Lord our God and love for our neighbor. Love. Like whatever love is, would abound more and more. But here's the thing, it says, would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The prayer is that love would abound more and more, but with knowledge and discernment. Now this is, this is beautiful. John Flavel, a pastor of a previous age, he says this, John Flavel says, but the conjunction of an orthodox head, a right thinking, doctrinal 
understanding, rightly ordered, orthodox head with an honest, sincere heart does always constitute an excellent Christian. That's excellent. He says this, happy, joy, happy is the man that hath a head so hearted and a heart so headed. That's beautiful. That's excellent. We live in an age that values one or the other. We live in an age where our, our, our neighbors just down the road proclaim, follow your heart over at Disney and pretty much everywhere else. Just follow your heart. And then we have newspapers that talk about, well, we, we're just reporting facts, both of which are a lie. What we need is an orthodox head, a right-thinking, rightly-ordered head that is able to rightly order the affections of the heart. You see, our hearts are desperately wicked above all things. They need rails. And the right-thinking A rightly ordered mind about who God is and who we are is willing to put rails on our hearts with knowledge and discernment so that they may approve what is excellent. How can you know what to increase in love for if you don't know what the Scriptures approve as right and good? You see, there is a call to increase in love. It's not put down your heart, put down your emotions, put down your affections, put down your feelings. No, may love abound more and more as it is guided and directed by what is right and good according to the Scriptures. Would we have hearts that are rightly led by our head and then let us go with all the passion and conviction that is in us, directed by the Scriptures. What's the goal of the ability to approve what is excellent? The goal is that they would be pure and blameless. I want you to notice, I'm not making any of this up. I'm just reading the passage. Just the next words. Or that they would be pure and blameless. It isn't merely that we can point out and identify what is excellent. That is a rightly ordered head that can write papers about what is excellent and pure and blameless. But rather, that we would live lives that actually take joy in what is excellent. And that tells our head, yeah, that was good. Well done. What you told me is good. And then what I went after, and I found joy there in the presence of the Lord and according to His promise. Good call, Orthodox said. And that bears witness among the saints. This is what it is to be pure and blameless, to have a head that so rightly orders the desires of the heart, and a heart that so pursues what is excellent with passion, so that excellence appears in our lives, not just in our doctrine. But excellence appears in our lives, an excellence that looks pure and blameless, a passionate person who bears the fruit of righteousness. And that's what the next phrase is. Here we come to the reason why Paul is praying for love's increase. Because the fruit of righteousness is the ultimate fruit of this love abounding 
And it comes, the passage says, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. All of this right ordering of our head according to the Scriptures, all of this heart that is being transformed through the renewing of our minds, lives that are being ordered according to the way of the Spirit as our desires that we found in Galatians 5 with the fruit of the Spirit are being stoked by the Word. As all of this begins to bear fruit of righteousness, we say, that was all through Jesus. My head doesn't naturally do that, and my heart doesn't normally go down that route. But all of that was the work of the Gospel in me. And so we should not be surprised to find the last what, six, seven words? To the glory and praise of God. It doesn't ring our glory and praise when righteousness begins to show up, when the fruit of righteousness begins to show up in our lives. It rings that God has, has performed a miracle. This is crazy that Jeremiah loves and enjoys Jesus. It's far crazier that the Apostle Paul loved the murderer of the saints putting them in prison and putting them to death, loves and enjoys being in prison for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel. Miracle to the praise and glory of God. A life that's ordered by the head and lived with passions that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, bears the fruit of righteousness and so glorifies God who began the work who is in the midst of the work in our lives, and we are sure, because our heads are rightly ordered, even though our hearts are saying, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Our hearts say, He will. We continue on, and He brings us to completion together as the church of the day of Jesus Christ. So this love that is increasing ends in glory and praise. Love is the beginning. Love is at the essence of the gospel. It's why the Father loving the Son, giving the Son a church, so loved the world that He gave His Son. And in that love brings us to Himself that we, miracle of miracles, would love Him. Rebels would love the Lord. Now, friends, it's time to end. Philippians is a thank you letter. Uh, the great thanks that Paul would give is a call to them to join him in suffering for the sake of the gospel. And that's where we're going to spend our time for the next 10 weeks together, that we would discover that to be a partner in the gospel is to be a partaker of grace, to increase in love to the glory and praise of God. And what we will discover is prayer is the place where this joy first appears. And so the call for us to continue in prayer, the call for us to inform our prayer by the Word, by memorizing things like Philippians 2, remains such, such practical things. There's nothing more practical than to have our lives rightly ordered by the knowledge of God. Friends, that's where we'll find joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that our prayer of confession is never anywhere close to long, long enough for us to rightly admit the ways that our lives are disordered. 
and that we are floundering in something that is far from being called joy. Your prophets spoke of people who were digging for their next meal in broken cisterns, cesspools. This is where we spend so much of our time. Now, in this world, it looks like the things that sparkle and glitter. But they're foolishness. But Lord, you have made us partakers of grace for all who have cried out to you in faith. And Lord, I just pray that you would use this, these scriptures to, to call us into that joy. And that we would, the mark of Cross Point Coast, of this local expression of the church alongside of your work in Brevard County and the other churches who are here, would not be a people who suffer, but the mark would be a people filled with joy. No matter what you would bring us as we go about the proclamation of where we have found our joy. But I pray that that would be so and you would use this series to do it in me, do it in us, do it in your church. And we're confident you will because your scriptures say so. Orient our hearts to believe it, we pray. In the name of Jesus and to his glory and praise, we pray. Amen. Amen.